church as we walk through our uh, time together these five weeks of the next campaign. And uh, it's a real privilege to have uh, the next two are generational, to see God's work through generations in the life of our church. And so we have Doug, who is a longtime elder in the life of our church, uh, been here uh, for the long haul. And next week we'll have his son, uh, Ben, will come and share briefly with us. And Ben was elected to the, dia- uh, to the, uh, to the session uh, in this last round. And so we have the next generation stepping into that leadership. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm delighted to, uh, to hear them share with us these couple of weeks. <clears throat> Donna and I came to Hickson Presbyterian Church or to this area um, <clears throat> about 38 years ago in 1976. We moved here to Hickson to teach Bible in the Hamilton County Schools, and we visited a number of churches when we first came here, almost 10 churches. But when we came to Hickson, we knew that we had found our church home. We found a place where the scripture was taught as God's inspired word and where God's grace was experienced through Jesus Christ. We found a place where there was love for the lost, where missions was important. We found a place where we could establish loving relationships. Over the years... Hickson Presbyterian became more than a church for us. It became our family. The church ministered to us many times. Um, There was a time that Don and Carol Pierce brought us heat for our house when we didn't have enough. There was Paul Hawkins that sewed up. I told you I'd have it. (laughs) I'd have a hard time. Sewed up my head when I had an accident. Pat and Keith Palm brought us food when I was unemployed. Nolan Henrich helped Donna and me get a job. And the insurance helped pay for our first son, who will be here next week. And when ultrasound of our youngest son, William, showed a prenatal disorder, birth disorder, it was our Hickson Presbyterian family that had a prayer meeting and prayed for him. The next ultrasound was normal. He was born without complication. <clears throat> But it's not just about what the family has done for us. It's about serving. It's about having the opportunity to teach. Having the opportunity to be in a small group where we can grow in our faith. It's about missions trips. The most important one for me was one to Abidjan. Changed my life. There are opportunities for fellowship, retreats, picnics, and lots of other activities. 
And there's nothing like a service project with our family. This is HPC to me. This property has served this place for 38 years. But God in his providence has provided a new place. A great place. A place that I never dreamed would be ours. I used to take people that were out of town visitors to this place so they could take pictures. And now it's hers, just for the taking. I believe this place provides us a great place to expand this ministry. The one that's ministered to our family all these years. I want to be a part of it. I want to give the next generation a great place to preach, teach the gospel of grace, build loving relationships, and to love the lost. Clearly a word from the heart. God has done great things in the life of our church uh, <clears throat> that we are very grateful. And if we look to the future, uh, we are expectant of uh, generations of good things to come. Uh, before we turn our hearts to God's word, I did want to make a quick announcement and ask you to consider uh, one of the, the ministries where the gospel goes out on a consistent basis into lives of children in our community as our after-school tutoring program, and uh, right now it's up and running, and it's very full, but we've got a couple of kids who are asking to be in the program. They've come recommended from their school, and their teachers is uh, needing a ministry like this, and so we've got anywhere from two to four kids, and we need one or two more tutors to accommodate it. So it's just Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 3.30 to 5.30. You can do one day or both, uh, but they could really use one or two more tutors if God has been prompting you to consider that. Uh, you can talk to Reed or you can talk to me and I'll point them out to you. Um, but uh, also, just a quick reminder, there is no task this week. So if you're a tutor, you got the week off, it's fall break. We've got a bunch of our folks who knows where they are, but it's break time, so um, we won't be doing tutoring this week. As we turn our hearts toward the Word, you know that we've been walking through a season of seeking and listening. We are an exciting place in the time of the life of our church. If you're visiting with us this morning, you've walked into... Uh, an exciting time, and uh, we are on, we've been walking through a season of uh, seeking and listening, uh, otherwise known as a capital campaign, um, seeking, what, seeking what God will do in the life of our church, how he will use us to, to make this possible. And, and I do believe that God, it takes time for God to work in our hearts, which is one reason that we, we're doing a five-week thing. We're on week four. Next week is the last week, so some of us will breathe a sigh of relief, kind of like pregnancy. You know, you've been building toward this expectation, but man, you'll be glad when it's over too. So, but we're there. We are on the home stretch. Next week is Commitment Sunday. 
We have that special brunch beforehand, you know, from 9 to 10, 15, and we'll hope that you'll come early and uh, as part of a celebration. We really believe that that's what it is and what it will be, that uh, next week is that time that we believe that God, as he is stretching us, um, that that is a day that we will come and bring a three-year commitment. We're asking uh, every member in the life of our church to come next week prepared to make a three-year commitment to this program, how, how uh, you will give. And so what I want to do this morning is to think through, again, some more of God's empowerment, of how that is accomplished, how, how God is able, to, uh, is able to empower us and enable that to happen in the life of our church, and to think through some creative ways as we come next week prepared to give. But it is an extraordinary time in the life of the church. For those who missed the picnic last week, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but it was wonderful to be together out on the property. It, God gave us a beautiful day in round two on Sunday night. And uh, it was good to be there together, probably 250 people. We not only shared a meal together, but to go out and to stand where the building will be. We had our picture taken in an aerial photograph. That'll be showing up here soon. It came out pretty well. And, uh, and to turn over dirt in the first saying that so it begins. Uh, it was a powerful for me, it was a powerful, historic day in the life of our church. And as we now press into one more week of thinking together that, that this week, that God would be at work, creative ways, preparing you to fill out. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to point it out to you. It's there on the back page of your bulletin. What we're going to do is hand it to you next week. What we're asking you to do is to come prepared on the back panel to fill it out. Um, and one of the things that you'll see down at the bottom in very small print I don't know why it's so small, but it says, note, um, I have to hold it like three feet away from me to read it. Uh, this is a statement of intent and may be altered uh, as circumstances warrant. In other words, we're asking you as far as God leads you and you can discern at this point to say over the next three years through our income and, and what we have, our, our assets and what God has given us, this is what we believe we will be able to give over the next three years. We understand that circumstances may intervene. Uh, You can have a a life-changing event. You could lose a job. You know, there could be a change of job. There could be all kinds of things that enter in, and so you may not be able to honor it. We understand, God understands, that this is a statement of intent. Um, But also, God may bless in the years ahead. You may get a promotion. You may get a new job, right? You You may have some kind of a windfall or an inheritance, and God may enable your ability to give beyond what you've put on paper. So it is simply a statement of intent, but it it truly helps us to know where we are as we have to borrow money and to press in to finish the project to see how much of it we can provide from inside. And you need to know, we said that we would provide it in three ways, that we would sell this building, that we would raise money, and that we would borrow whatever is left that we need to borrow. We um, We have the contract for this building in our hands, and we are reading it over this week, uh, pulling together the, the great minds of <laughs> the church to read the thing over and make sure we understand it. But we are about to come under contract, Lord willing, with this church. Um, we have all the financing in place to borrow whatever we will need to borrow. And the only question mark now is how much will that be, depending on what God does next week and as the pledges come in. And we have already had some early pledging, and I'm not going to tell you now. You have to come next week to find out. But I am already, I said, I sat at my desk uh, one day this past week just in shock at what God has already done. And, uh, and I think that you, you will be pleasantly surprised as God works among us. I have been humbled, O ye of little faith, 
that he's able to do more than we ask or imagine and encourage you to be encouraged as we come next week prepared. But I want to spend a few, few minutes this week brainstorming together on creative ways that God may enable us to be stretched in our giving and to think through as we prepare this week to come and fill that out is to think about God's grace and God's work and his ability to work in our midst and to do more than we've asked or even imagined that he could. When Paul went on his third missionary journey, he had several goals uh, in, in taking that trip. He wanted to go and encourage and strengthen the churches that he had already planted. He had already had a couple of mission trips. He wanted to go encourage them and to strengthen them. He wanted to go and to have more opportunity to preach the gospel, to plant new churches. But he had a third goal on that journey. As he made a way around the churches and strengthened and established them, he also had the goal to raise a large amount of money. He wanted to raise money to meet a need in the broader church, in the worldwide church. He wanted to help the Jewish Christians in Palestine. At this time that he's embarking on this journey, uh, the, the Jewish church in Palestine is going through persecution and suffering and a famine. There's great need, there's hunger, and Paul, as he leaves Palestine to go visit these churches in in Asia Minor and southern Europe, he goes, part of his intent is to raise money, a large capital drive, to raise a large amount of funds to bring back in relief to the other uh, part of the church. He knows that if he can raise this help and support, it does a number of things. It's good for those who give, it is good for those who receive, but there's also a special ministry in, in, in if the Gentile Greek churches would give this, this to, the, uh, to the Palestinian or to the Jewish church. It would be a great movement of healing. And I don't know if you, if you read through the book of Acts and some of the early books, there's a tension between the Jewish church and the growing and rising Greek and Gentile church. And there was a bunch of disputes that broke out and tensions that existed And God, in one of the ways that he bridges that gap, is this drive where it is the Gentile churches that reach out in love and support to their brothers and sisters in Palestine. And so Paul mounts a special campaign to raise a sizable amount of money to finance a project that God had placed on his heart. And so Paul is calling his church to give. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Read with me then, hear the word of God. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, We want you to know, brothers in the church in Corinth in southern Europe, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia in southern Greece. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord, willingly, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not what we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started so that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in earnestness and in love for you, see that you excel 
in this act of grace also. The Word of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning to hear your Word. We have gathered this morning because we know it's living and true. And we long to hear you speak into the life of your church. We long for you to speak into our hearts with power. We don't want to gather more information. We want to experience your transformation. We want to be changed. We want to be more the people of God at the end of this morning than we were when we came in in the sense that you would have more of us, that your word would go deeper, that your love would be heard more powerfully, that your spirit would be fuller in our lives and our experience, and that we would live more closely to the pattern and the power that you've called us to. So come near. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to share with them how God's grace has been manifested in the giving of another church. It's an interesting thing as he writes. He says, I don't want you to, you know, to be ignorant, brothers. I want you to know about what God is doing through these other churches already. As I am making this journey and as I am going through this campaign to raise some money, I want you to be aware of what God has already done what God is already doing and what that looks like in the life of another church. And he says, as he writes this, we want you to be, verse 1 there, you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Right? The grace of God that has been given among these other churches. Grace is a great word. It's an awesome Bible word. Most of us know what that word means in regard to uh, the grace that is ours in Christ for our justification and our salvation. And so we understand this word that God... Uh, meets us in our need and graciously through the work of his son on the cross gives us what we do not deserve. And so we know, we understand God's grace as it regards our salvation in Christ. But we don't always see the word. Paul uses it a little bit differently in this text. He uses it a little bit differently to describe not only the the salvation that is, is ours in Christ, Uh, as as we enter Christ and as he pours out his spirit on his people. But he uses the word grace to describe all of the manifestations of the work of God's spirit in his people. All of that is grace. So it not only saves us, but it is everything that he does among his people after he saves us is the manifestation of his grace. And so as he he speaks here, he uses it in this way to describe God's gifts of of empowering, enabling. Right? So this is this grace of God that is being manifested in the church is the grace of empowerment to be generous and give. It's the same way that he uses the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Most of you would be familiar with 1 Corinthians 12 is when Paul goes through and talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says that to everyone has been given a gift of the Spirit. Um, you know, same Lord, same Spirit. And, uh, but a different working, like in a body, hands and feet and eyes and ears. And all of us have a spiritual gift that God has given us. What a lot of us don't realize is that in that passage where it talks about spiritual gifts, the word gift that's being translated gift is actually the word, the same, same form of the word of charis or grace. And so what he's saying is that to, to each one of us, each one of us has received a spiritual grace an empowerment, an ability that God has given us to serve in the larger body of the church. So their spiritual graces are spiritual gifts, which are simply spiritual empowerment, spiritual ability 
that comes from God. In other words, God gives us ability beyond our own. He graces us by His Spirit. Every Christian has spiritual power and ability to serve in the body of the Christ, in the body of Christ. And he lists some of these graces throughout first. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, service and leadership and discernment and teaching and all the different gifts. One of them is generosity. In verses 1 and 2, it makes clear that this is what he's talking about here, is this kind of grace, this enabling power of God among his people uh, beyond our salvation. So he says, we want you brothers to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in this severe affliction... Their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty has overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. Right? I want you to know about this grace of God that is at work in this church, that they're going through all of these things, but it's manifest, this grace of God is manifest, he says, in a wealth of generosity. A God-enabled, a God-empowered giving and generosity toward the needs of those who are desperate. He says that they have been given among uh, the churches this rich generosity to give to the Macedonian, uh, among the Macedonian churches. I said the Macedonian churches are churches in northern Greece. So the, um, this is, um, Alexander the Great was from Macedonia. It's a northern part of Greece. And so the churches among Macedonia is where this is going on as he calls the Corinthian church in southern Europe to hear and to participate. And it says he gave them grace to richly and sacrificially participate in this campaign to raise money for the church. And he is sharing how God has empowered them to motivate them to seek this grace and empowerment. So in verses 6, he says to the Corinthians, as he calls them to give, he speaks in the same terms. Accordingly, we have urged Titus that as he started so that he should complete among you this act of grace. What Paul is looking for in Corinth is is a work of God, right? An act of grace. Grace is that work of God to empower us beyond ourselves. And he says, even as we have seen this example in a sense of God's manifesting his grace among a people that out showed its outpouring in generosity, he says, this is the work I've left Titus to do to seek the same act of grace, So in verse 7, he says, So as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You excel in all these other graces, and he lists them. You excel in in the grace of faith. You excel in the grace of speech or speaking God's word or speaking seasoned with God's grace of knowledge, of earnestness, of love, just as you excel in all these other manifestations of God's enabling power and His work among you and in your midst, He says, see to it that you also excel in this grace, this manifestation also, the moving of God's people to generosity. Generous giving is a work of God's grace in our lives. That's really what I want us to see as we think about this. I I don't want anything more. There are a lot of ways. I, 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 you know, did a lot of reading about this and looked at different stuff. And so much of the material is very manipulative. Some of the material, some of the things, where they go and how they end. And I just wrestled with it. Like, I just don't want to go there. 
And as we finish out kind of this seeking and listening, as we go to make our, our pledge next week, I really wanted to hit and to say, you know what? I, we, what the leadership here is looking for, what we are looking for is nothing short of, nothing more, nothing less than a work of God's enabling power in our midst. And that is not something I can conjure up. That is not something that I can make happen anywhere. It's not something that you can even conjure up. It's something that God does. And so in this last week, as we press in, as we're praying and thinking, and I'm going to give you some creative ideas as we close and to think uh, moving toward next week as we make this, is to say, I want God to work. I want God to do a spiritual work of grace in my heart as I think about giving so that it wouldn't be out of the flesh and it wouldn't be just according to my own power. It wouldn't be just according to what I can do, but it would be according to what God can do. Right? And that's what he says in the midst of it, doesn't he? He says that not only they gave what they were able, it says that they gave more than they were able. Because God was at work empowering and enabling them to do so. We need to seek God's gracious enabling power. All I would send you home to do this week is to, to literally get on your knees and to seek and to ask God, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? What do you want my part to be? Open my eyes, soften my heart, lead me in the right direction so that as I go to do this, I am simply doing what I feel like God wants me to do. That's all anybody wants you to do is what you feel like God wants you to do. It is clear to me that when we experience God's grace like this, when God works in our lives to set us free from our selfishness, to set us free from our sin, to set us free from the things that our hearts are attached to, and we experience God's grace in our lives, we experience God's freedom, and He works in us and through us, and we know that He's working in us and through us, I know that that experience is where a great part of Christian joy comes in. Whether it's in this area, this I say, not just the experience of this grace of giving, but in all of his graces. When we exercise faith, when we exercise our service, when we lead and give and love and, and, and pour ourselves out, when we serve Christ in his kingdom, when we know that he's working in us and he's working through us, we have the opportunity to share our faith. I'll tell you, some of the times I've been most, I don't know, we say f- pumped up, full of the spirit, you know, just revved is when I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. I don't know if you've ever done it where you just really, the door was open, you share it, and you come away, and your heart is just singing. This is awesome. I want God to do it again. Use me again. Give me opportunity again. And that, that's the experience when we experience the grace of God at work in our lives, if it overflows in abundance of joy. And that's what Paul says happened to these guys in Macedonia. It says as they, we saw this grace of God in verse 1 that's been given among the churches because in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Do you see that sandwich? The severe test of their affliction, their overflow of joy, their extreme or their depth of poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And that's the beauty of what God does. This, this in the midst, it, irregardless of, or regardless, or irregardless of circumstances, God is at work. God is at work. Despite our struggles, God's grace overflows. And those are the times sometimes when we know it is God's grace at work within us because it defies circumstances, right? It defies what would seem to be the normal, the natural 
thing that would happen or is able. That when God shows up and even in the midst of us, and he stacks up the words, a severe test of affliction and difficulty, right? And they're extreme, and that word extreme is really the word for a depth, a deepness of poverty. And in the middle of it, it says, their abundance of joy, and they overflowed with generosity. That's a work of grace, is it not? When God shows up in the midst of all kinds of circumstances and enables us to do above and beyond what it seems like we would ever be able to do. The word is it welled up. Their joy welled up in an abundance of generosity. These weren't rich people. The times weren't particularly good. But these were a people who were experiencing a work of grace. And in experiencing that grace, they overflowed with joy. And they overflowed with the grace of giving. And that's why in the next chapter, it's in 2 Corinthians 9, in the very next chapter that Paul speaks and says that God loves a cheerful giver. And I was thinking is that just the context of where that comes, that Paul, it would be almost impossible for me to believe that it, Paul isn't thinking of these people when he says that God loves a cheerful giver. He's thinking about the experience of God's grace among these people, that even in the midst of their struggles and whatever trials they had, there was this overflow of joy that led to a cheerful giving. Giving is something that we get to do. So in verses 3 and 4, when we press ahead, as Paul describes this work of grace, he says they gave not only according to their means, as I can testify, but beyond their means, of their own accord, quite willingly, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You know, when I read these verses, it's where my heart begins to long to experience what these guys are experiencing. I mean, can you imagine, you just have to put yourself into these people and what they're experiencing. Here are these people who are saying, Paul says they not only gave according to their means, but they gave beyond their means. They were begging us. They were begging us to let them participate. Begging us to let them give what they actually ended up giving, that you would take it from us. Can you imagine where you have to be? To, to do that, it reminds me of one of our first sermons when God's people brought so much um, they, that Moses gave the call. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, Moses, David gave the call for the money to come in. Moses in the first tabernacle and, and the people brought, it said they had to tell him to stop. You know, that, that, that to not give them the favor of giving any more uh, to what God is doing in this case. He says he gave according to their means. It's interesting, that word there, they gave according to their means. The word there is dunamin. It's a word that we usually translate elsewhere, power or ability. It's dunamis, dynamite. Um, They gave according to their, their own power, their own ability. But then it says they gave beyond their dunamis, beyond their power, beyond their ability. And Paul says clearly, I can testify Right As he says this, like they gave according to their ability, and I can testify, they gave beyond their ability. They, they, it was a work of grace. Something happened. And he's, he almost has to come in and say, I can, I can testify. Something extraordinary happened in the lives of these people. God was at work, and they gave beyond to the point where they were pleading with us, literally begging to be a part, that they willingly gave. In other words, I can testify that their giving was a work of God that they willingly gave above and beyond and sacrificially. 
And they pled for the favor. You know, I put the, the words in there in your bulletin under the third point. I stacked up some Greek words and uh, I translated them because I wanted you to see them. He puts together words here that might make sense to you. They're all words that you would hear in different contexts. And he puts them all together in this sentence in verse 4. It says that he wants the Karen or the charis, the grace of koinonia. Most of you have heard the name koinonia is that fellowship of the saints. It's a rich word of participation of the life of saints. They, they, they pleaded for the charis, not just for the, the favor. What's being translated favor is grace. They pleaded for the charis, the grace, to koinonia with the diakonos, the service of the hagios, the saints. Right? This charis, koinonia, diakonos with the, with the hagios, the saints. They, they pleaded for this grace of participating with the service of God's people is what the verse says. Sometimes English translation, you lose some of that rich depth, but those are just some of the richest words that we hold on to in our faith and and translate. They're all put together as they long to be a part of this. All of this giving, he says, starts with God. Right, look at verse 5. He says, all of this was not as we expected. Right, Paul says, it surprised me. It was more than I hoped for. This was not what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to the will of God and to us. And I think that is the secret, my friends. That is the secret of the Christian life. That is the secret of every grace that God ever calls us to participate in or to use and to exhibit in our lives and to share. And it's the key to this passage, but it's the key to the, to the whole journey of your Christian life and following Jesus. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And having surrendered themselves to Christ, having surrendered themselves to the will of God, which is what comes out of it, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God they came. And so it is only as they are surrendered to Christ, only as they have yielded themselves to his purposes and to his services, made themselves vessels, tools, instruments in the Redeemer's hand to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And having thus given themselves to the Lord first, he says, then by the will of God to us in this miraculous work of grace, I want you to know, he would write to another church, I want you to know what God did over there. It was something to behold, something to experience, something to see. And they gave themselves to God. And in giving themselves to God, God can do more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And that is we have gone through this. I have already seen that. I have already, in my little faith, I didn't ask a lot. In my little faith, I didn't imagine some of the ways that I have seen God's grace unfold But God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. And how does he do it? According to his power that is at work within us, that grace that is manifest in his people to accomplish his purposes, which is when these kind of things happen. Psalm 110, it's there under your last point. It says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Right? That is a psalm. Psalm 110 is a psalm to Christ. And it's about his people um, in, in terms of giving themselves to their king, but it's a psalm that is clearly about Christ. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And that's what we ask you to do over this next week, to creatively offer yourselves freely to your king on his day of power. 
asking Him what He can and will do in the life of His church as we press into the months and the weeks that are ahead. As we do this, as we think of creative ways that God may enable us to give, and the more that I have um, listened to the people who have been helping us in this whole process and have done my own reading on these things, is I think sometimes that God enables us to give, works that grace in us as we are creative in understanding all of the ways that God has resourced us to give, just like he resourced his people by plundering the Egyptians. And uh, so these are four quick ways I'm just going to run through. You've already heard them. If you've been paying attention to the inserts that have come through every week, I'm afraid that some of you haven't. So I'm going to hit the content real quick, um, all that extra reading that you could have or should have or would have done. Uh, but it, it was, it's outlining different ways. It is Lynn and I have been thinking about this and trying to think of which of these ways we could put these different ways together to come up with what we want to give. Right, and the first part one is out of our income, right? All of us have a certain amount of income that comes in. And so figuring out how much of that can I siphon off to give into this so that I can give monthly over the next three years, how much can I siphon off of my income? Part of my thinking in this, in terms of being creative, is what do I expect to get maybe in an in a annual um, increase next year, you know, that cost of living, or in the next three years. And maybe that's money. If I can only give this much, but I expect this kind of an increase, those increases might become part of what I'm going to give monthly over the years. I'm thinking through some of them. I don't get a bonus like that. Some of you know you get a bonus at a certain time of the year. Some of you may know that you get a tax return and what it is usually. In the, but there are ways in what you know will be income over the next three years that you can think creatively some of that and some of that and it goes into my number to say this is what I can do a second is appreciated assets not just the income that's flowing through but assets that we may already have again not all of us have this kind of assets property real estate stocks and bonds these are actually if you do have them and you are in a position to share them it is a it is one of the most creative in the best tax-wise ways of giving that there is, because if you were to sell those assets yourself, you pay heavy capital gains tax on them. But if you give them to the, and then you can claim on your, your um, there, there's no tax deduction to it, and you took a huge hit in paying those gains. But if you give it to the church, if you give a piece of land or you give stock to the church, two things happen. One, you get to claim the full amount as a tax deduction. Right? Because you gave the full amount, so the full market value before any taxes you get to claim. And second, the church pays no taxes. And you get the full value of the land or the full value of the stock without any capital gains. And you get the full value of the deduction. There's a wise way to give. The guy who has been helping us has talked about one guy in the church gave a stand of timber. Um, just creatively thinking he's got a harvest date. He's going to pay capital gains taxes. Maybe I'll harvest, you know, I'll let the church do the harvesting, and then there's no taxes involved whatsoever, and they get the full benefit. Uh, And he was ready and able to do it. You can give income. You can give of your assets. You can just give stuff. I've had at least four different families talk to me about giving jewelry. Um, And and that's a marvelous thing. It's it's what the... the, uh, Israelites did was they went around and it says that they brought a lot of what they brought was gold and, and silver jewelry in and there are ways that God has blessed us there's stuff you don't use stuff you have laying around old family stuff or whatever it is and God may prompt you to give it there are collections stamps coins dolls uh, all kinds of things that, that, that you may have that God may call on you to say you know what now may be the time other stuff I have a boat that I've had for 15 years. I think I've used it three or four times. It was given to me. It's one of those. It's not an expensive boat. It's not nothing fancy, but it's one of those I'm thinking about how can I sell it you know, and at least share some of that, that that would become part of my pledge 
over the next couple of years. Simplify and purge. And finally, there's sacrificial giving. You can put off buying something. You can give something up that you would normally spend money on, and, and instead of spending money on it, you free it up over these three years to give it that way. It's a sacrifice. You know, something that I love or something I would normally spend money on that I'm going to put off or forego or give up this year or to give it somewhere. You know, sacrifice is giving up something we love for something we love even more um, and to consider the ways that God may lead you. There are a lot of creative ways, and I just want to encourage you as you spend this week is to, before the Lord, ask him, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? But our goal is this, the last verse under the last point, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. This is between you and God and no one else. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion. Um, none of us want that. Nobody's asking for that. But God loves a cheerful giver. And that is our goal in this whole campaign, is that we would see... Whatever our conditions, whatever our circumstances, this abundance of joy that, that, that ended up in a rich generosity and cheerful giving among God's people. Let me just close with this one thought. can't close without saying it. <clears throat> None of what I would have said this morning will make any sense if you have not first given yourself to the Lord. There are those who stand on the outside, and I know sometimes the church is accused of being all about money, and, and if you talk to anybody who goes here for any length of time, we don't talk about money all the time. We're in a unique season here, and God is calling us to some extraordinary efforts and to consider more deeply something unique that we have in our lives. But I can tell you this, all of what I'm saying will not make any sense to you whatsoever if you have not first surrendered yourself to Christ. You don't know what it is to serve him. You don't know what it is to live under his reign, under him as Lord and King. You don't know what it is to have him as your Savior. You don't know what it is to have all the hope that he gives us. You don't know what it is to invest in his kingdom and his glory and his purposes. You don't know what it is if you don't first give yourself to him. And if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't yet first given yourself to the Lord, that this would be a great day to do that, that he calls us to bow the knee to trust in Christ that, that what he did, he did for us on the cross. If you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it's in the same chapter, just a few verses down. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He died on the cross to make us rich. He died on the cross to give us life. Right? He... Have you ever bowed the knee and believed that what he did, he did for you? If you've never put your trust in Christ, if you've never put your faith in him, I would encourage you that this is a day to bow the knee to Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us so well, that though you were rich, you became poor for us. We thank you that you so loved the world that you gave that you were so full of the joy that was set before you, that you sacrificed, that you were so full of love and passion that you became a giver. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sit to your people under your word. We thank you for the opportunity to give. Would you do such a work of grace in our hearts as we spend this week wrestling with you and seeking and listening and asking what you would do? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? 
that we would do what you want us to do. Nothing more, nothing less, but simple obedience to our King, to our Savior, out of willing hearts for the glory of your name, the advancement of your kingdom, the advancement and the preaching of your gospel, the good of your people. We ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.